Hi there. We are excited to get back to our interviews with founders and marketers about how they're building their businesses around the ever-changing landscape of this year. Just a quick note that our interview with Ty Givens of the Workforce Pro is going to be released in two parts over the next two weeks. Make sure you tune into the second part of this interview to get some incredible tips on how to think about building and scaling your company's customer service team. Enjoy the podcast. We often find as consumers that customer service is, is an afterthought. Oh my gosh, like when I grow up, I want to run a call center. Nobody says that. In, in the bad organizations that you've seen, the people come in, they get beat up and then they can't do anything about it. I kept saying, I wish that there was someone that I could call and say, hey, I need you to develop training for me. You guys do a training course because we don't have time and we don't have a person in-house. How much money, especially larger companies, do they spend on focus groups, on trying to understand what customers want when their customers are telling them what they want for free every day? If we're in the back room saying we're going to build unicorns and the customer's on the phone saying I want a pony, why are you going to unicorns? I remember when I first started in advertising and I had a, a bad call from a client. And it's, it's tough. Like you, and you're, you're 22, you're, you think you know what you're doing and then suddenly you just get called out and like chewed up and spit out. You're like, oh my God, I just, I've broken everything. Hello, and welcome to this edition of the 30-Minute CMO. I'm Gorsha Huchua, and I'm joined by my partner, Alex McNamara. Hey, Alex, can you believe that this is our 10th episode already? I can't believe it. Where has the time gone? What is What an excellent episode we've got here today. I'm really excited, yes. Today's conversation is with Ty Gibbons. She's the founder and CEO of the Workforce Pro a customer service consultancy that helps companies mature their customer experience in a way that creates fans for their brands. We wanted to speak to Ty after one of our previous shows where we discussed how customer care teams are aligned and incentivized inside of organizations. Uh, It was our view that excellent customer care is a phenomenal marketing channel in terms of creating brand value, attracting new customers, and creating long-term advocates. And we actually cited examples from American Express and T-Mobile, two companies that have built their brands on the strength of amazing service. Ty is a customer service thought leader and has been setting up and scaling CS teams for previous employers before starting down her own path. And today we'll talk about her journey to entrepreneurship and ask her whether she's seeing opportunities amidst the pandemic for brands to rethink their customer care strategies. We'll also ask Ty for some tips and best practices that our listeners can look and apply to their own companies. Ty, welcome to the show. Hi, everybody. Thanks so much for having me on. I'm so excited tonight. We're super excited to have you. And I think it makes the most sense for us to start with your own journey. We were really curious, knowing uh, a little bit of your past history, what did you spot while working for other companies that made you think about starting your own business? I tended to be the fixer of contact centers. And when I would come in the door to fix a contact center, so just to give you guys a little bit of framing, um, let's say I join a startup, they they just secured some funding, and they're like, now we're ready to scale CX. And I get in, and what I inherit is usually what someone who's actually never run a team has set up. 
And it doesn't mean that it's, it's bad. It just means there's a lot of work to do. So while I would be simultaneously trying to fix what's already happened, I had to be present at, for what's going on right now. And I had to be ready for the future. And just to be honest, guys, I got so tired of being in the past, present, and future at the same time, mm-hmm. underfunded, couldn't get the resources to do the work. So when I was working for one of a really, really fast growing startup, um, I kept saying, I wish that there was someone that I could call and say, hey, I need you to develop training for me. Mm. You guys do a training course because we don't have time and we don't have a person in house. Or how do I know how many people I should hire for my contact center? I don't have time to sit down and do the calculations. Or can you set up my Zendesk or my ticketing system for me? I'll tell you what we need, but I just don't have the time. Mm -hmm. Uh, So I basically built a business based on what I needed. And my thought was, what if I could give that to as many companies as possible at a price point that they can afford, but with an ROI like they've never seen? So that's actually how my business came to be. And I kid you not, I might not sleep much, but I have not looked back. I love it. <laughs> how, um, when, when did you set up? When did you set up your, uh, your business? I started in November 2016. And funny thing is I was afraid to, I didn't want to be the, the person. I'm a natural introvert. So I was like, You know, I'll just set up a website. I actually have this um, poster in my office of like one of my early like um, uh, like marketing tools, and it's it's like this poster of four people, and I had named them. They didn't exist, but I had named them, and I'm like, that's my team. You know, (laughs) Um, it took uh, I think two years before I was like, hey, it's me. And that's actually when the business started to take off. That's, uh, that's amazing. So you've been at it for almost four years at this point. Almost four, but in customer experience for 20 years, which yeah. is insane to me to even think about because I started when I was 18 years old. I started in contact centers literally at 18 years old. Uh, one of the questions that sort of naturally comes up and uh, we wanted to ask you was, you know, we're, besides what you already identified, which is, there were resources just lacking uh, for people, for companies to do this um, consistently with best practices in a way that was affordable. Um, Were there trends that you were seeing um, in terms of like what was available in the market? Was this not something that was, um, that was being offered? No. And okay. There, there's a company out there um, that does, kind of they 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 offered a solution for quality and that was a big inspiration for me um because when i was out in the world looking for you know creating this vision of like what if i could call someone there was actually someone that i could call for quality and i was like wow that's genius right but when it came to contact centers like it's not sexy you know nobody like nobody is like (laughs) oh my gosh like when I grow up, I want to run a call center. Nobody says that. And usually when people work in call centers, it's their very first job and it's, it's a stepping stone. So there's nothing glamorous about it. And it is a lot of hard work. So what I found is that you can find someone who can give you strategy. And I use real air quote mirrors when I say that, because a lot of times the people who are telling you these lofty things have never actually done any of it. Mm-hmm. 
So it sounds good, but is it actually something you can do? And I found that nobody wanted to do the work. Everybody wanted mm -hmm. to sit back and talk about what, what they thought should be done. And, oh, I want to create this experience where we read people's minds when they call in. And I'm like, well, who's going to come up with that? I mean, that sounds good, but like, <laughs> what about what we're going to do here today? So um, I didn't know of any, any place that said, you know what, if your CX manager leaves you tomorrow, you can call us up and we'll plug in and help you guys out until, and even help you find a replacement. That's not something that I know of outside of a temp agency, but even that relationship is very different than what we do. So um, no, I mean, I'd hate to say there's no competition, but I haven't found it. So um, yeah, I, cause I, I actually am doing what I would almost do in the sense of if I was in, in house, if I worked with them, the difference though is that we might work with six different companies at the same time. And that was my goal was to help as many companies that were in this space of change to be able to operate and function like companies that are double their size. And, and when you, you just mentioned that, that you can, you can, you work with like six companies um, at one time. Um, assuming you're, you're taking the best practices that you've got from one and applying it to multiple um, and helping them scale. So, um, is there, is there something in that around that you're able to help them scale, um, but still maintain that, you know, top level quality? Yeah, actually. So <laughs> I don't, I don't just, uh, just, you know, tell people to do it. I, I drink the Kool-Aid in, in the sense where I manage my clients through, um, a help desk. And so I'll know when I'm at capacity, when my response rate isn't where it should be. And when it comes to uh, taking on clients, we've said no. If, if I don't feel that we're going to be able to either meet the, the timeline or if the expectations aren't you know, aligned or we don't have the same vision, you know, we'll pass on them. And when we do work with say the six clients, we have it pretty much down to a science. It's not always one size fits all, but it's 80% sound. So. Uh, and if it's not, then I'm the queen of processes. So we just document it and we rejigger the process and then we keep going. So like, for example, we're doing a, a actual a, um, Zendesk training that anybody can leverage. And we actually just help you with the what, because that's the biggest gap. And so once we tell you what needs to get done, Zendesk got a ton of articles that will show you how. So we're like taking all of these different learnings that we've had from across multiple companies and saying, how can we impact the most? And then at the same time, try to meet them where they are. So we don't mind doing custom work, but if someone's like, hey, just tell me what to do, we try to make that possible. So we live in processes. Yeah, it seems like a very much process orientated in a, in, in a good way. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. You know, I mean, cause there's there, like I said, it's the 80, 20 rule, right? So 80% mm -hmm. of the time is going to work. And, and obviously we're going to rejigger for what the client needs. But uh, most of the time, what I find is that they just want to know what to do. And the question is always, what's the best practice for a business like mine, you know, help us understand what we should be doing. And if you are that unicorn startup, that's hitting that billion dollar valuation or getting really close to it, you know, your customer experience is about retention. How do I keep that money yeah. coming in? What should we be doing? Yeah. And that's when they, that's, those are the clients that'll call us up like, okay, 
can you start yesterday? Because <laughs> we need help. So I, I think I think this kind of leads us into this part of the conversation that we we thought maybe we'd get into a little bit later, but um, I think it's time to just kind of drill into this a little bit more. And it's what inspired us to reach out to you and 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 to have this um, uh, show because we found uh, that you know we often find as consumers that customer service is is an afterthought. Um, it's 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 outsourced, especially in large organizations and organizations that. I've worked in before. I remember that customer service was always looked down upon. It was um, considered to be a very transient profession, um, especially for people who are actually doing call center work. Like you've said, um, it's it's um, with you know it's, it's complete with high turnover. So training is often not enough, and uh, because people come come and go very quickly. And so, if it's uh, you know if it's traditionally been thought you know by a large number of companies as an afterthought. And it's the least pleasant touch point for customers. You know, what is your opinion about how organizations and whether they're small businesses just starting out or like, you know, large corporates, you know, what's your opinion about how organizations should think about customer service? So I'll tell you one of the main reasons why the turnover is like it is, why it's crazy. Every day when you come to work as a customer service person, this is majority, this is not, you know, the new wave that we're kind of coming up on. Your job is to come in and defend decisions, often bad decisions that you didn't make, day in, day out. Right. No one is calling us up yeah. to say, you know what, we love you, thank you so much for being here, you have a wonderful day, goodbye. That doesn't happen. When they call, they're talking to you about something you had nothing to do with, and you have to take ownership and you have to apologize. And then when you add on top of that, the fact that you have this feedback and this information that you really want to share with people to make or impact the change in that area, and they won't listen. So mm -hmm. it's a thankless job, right? And so when we have those experiences, what I found is that the best way to retain your team members is to remove anything from them that is just like, yes, no and let a machine handle that and really let them problem solve. But you have to give them autonomy and they have to feel like they can impact that decision and you have to give them an avenue or an outlet to impact the change, right? So yes, we know that this particular product is defective um, and you know, so-and-so from the CX team raised this concern, they had this recommendation and give them a stretch assignment to work with product to get some fixes in there. They'll be really excited about it. You also have to understand that the folks that come into CX, speaking for myself as well, 18 years old, it was my first job ever. I was working full-time and going to school full-time mm -hmm. and I started to get phone calls in a call center. I No one taught me how to be an adult at work. You have people who are showing up for their very first jobs right. and they actually think their mom works there. So, um, and then they have unrealistic expectations about what growth means because no one actually sits them down for that conversation startups not all but really feel like the messaging to get people excited is one you have to be fanatical about the brand two you have to tell them that there's growth opportunities you know look at so-and-so they came in and now they're on accounting and they've been here for three months that's not realistic and you actually shoot yourself in the foot so in six months when they haven't promoted they're out the door so if you increase their skill um give them stretch assignments hold them accountable, 
have coaching conversations and really mentor and develop them, they won't leave. At a client, I just spoke to, I stay in touch with all my clients. I just spoke with a um, former manager that I helped uh, place at a client of mine. I worked with them almost two years ago. So I always check in, hey, how's the team doing? She's like, literally, we, we haven't had anyone leave because they put the practices in place that I've I taught them. And now yeah. they, their team is continuing to grow. I, I thought it was really interesting when you when you kind of talked about the um in in the bad organizations that you've seen the people come in they get beat up and then they can't do anything about it and what you were, what you were talking about is give them the or you know, the autonomy to make decisions but give them the ability to make changes and have you I would I'd love to dig into that and understand more around how leadership have seen the the customer service department and how receptive that they've been to the feedback that they get and the ability to make those changes from from the team that's on you know the front line getting very honest very pointed feedback on their products most companies are not open to it if i'm just being totally transparent but um they're not because you know it's so funny that if there's one thing that every company has, we have customers. Every, every company has a customer. Otherwise, you don't have a company, right? But every role in the company that's not customer-facing thinks that anything that's customer-facing is the least of their worries. And it's so ironic to me because if there's no one taking care of the customer, then none of us have, has a place here, right? So the way that I've worked with teams in the past to get the ear of leadership, there's a couple things. One, I think you guys will like this. CX needs to live under marketing. Yes. 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 <laughs> yes. Right. Um, because then, so, you know, marketing is helping to acquire and bring in the customer. CX is responsible for retaining the customer. If those roles are not mutually um, shooting for the same goal, you can have marketing bringing in people who don't actually want to be customers. And then you have CX trying to retain people who don't actually want to be customers. It's not a good fit. So it just all needs to roll into the same org. Um, and then when you have that, you're looking at CX in a totally different way. So you're not looking at it as a cost center. You're not looking at it as something that is um, it, just a, an expense for the company or a necessary evil. You're now saying, okay, I've got these hypothetically 25 people that talk to the customer every day. How can I use those conversations to really get more information about what the customer needs and wants? Because if we're see right, because if we're working on things the customer doesn't want, what's the point, right? If yeah. we're in the back room saying we're going to build unicorns and the customers on the phone saying I want a pony, why are you going to unicorns? They want yeah. a pony, build a pony. It's uh, it's it's amazing you're saying this and it makes so much sense because on the when customer service and marketing are disconnected and leadership uh, thinks of them in a very separate in very separate ways how much money especially larger companies do spend on focus groups on trying to understand what customers want when their customers are telling them what they want for free every day through a dedicated in-house team every time i mean voice of customer is so important and we can't none of us can have a cavalier attitude about the customer no one can be afraid to talk to a customer it cracks me up how people will say that they are so, you know, customer services, you know, they don't think much of us. But if the phone rings, everyone's like, oh, 
I, I can't answer that. I have no idea what to say. It's like, it's another person on the end. You know, I, when I started at a company once, um, as an employee, this was, a, oh boy, this, oh my gosh, close to 10 years ago now, I, um, I decided to help out the first week on the phone with no training because it's just a conversation with a person, right? They have a problem that they need a resolution to. And so, you know, I'm happy to talk to them. Even though I didn't know how to work the system, that was secondary. Just write it down what needs to get done, move on to the next thing, right? Now, when it comes to um, working with customers and having those conversations, you have to just have confidence. No one wants to get on the phone with, with someone who's timid and, oh, I'm not sure what to do or, oh, I don't know. Or what you have to say is like, whatever the problem is, I'll take care of it for you. When you come at it with that level of assertiveness, excuse me, and that level of confidence, they're going to be fine. So, and then you have to separate yourself. That's the other thing. When I was 18 years old and a customer didn't get his black pins, he got blue pins and he literally cursed to me on the phone. I took it so personal, right? That customer yeah. couldn't make me shiver today. I would be like, oh my gosh, I'm so sorry that happened because I understand that he's not talking to Ty, he's talking to the company. Right. So what can I do to fix that for you on behalf of the company? And I don't wear that. I don't take that personally. I just move on to the next thing. And that comes with experience. I think you can't always just teach people to detach. It, it takes time. I, I was just going to say that. I feel like that is a, that like kind of comes with everything. Like I remember when I first started in advertising and I had a, a bad call from a client and it's, it's tough. Like you, and you're, you're 22, you're, you think you know what you're doing and then suddenly you just get called out and like chewed up and spit out you're like oh my god i just i've broken everything yeah and and then you just kind of have to figure it out and realize that it it seems really big because it's only happened to you you know three or four times and by the time you get you know go up through the ranks it's happened so many times that you know how to deal with it and it's not you that they are annoyed at it's the the situation but you're just the vessel in which it needs to be delivered exactly and actually, as, as relating to your experience, it's learning to say to the customer, even if you don't have a resolution in mind that, hey, don't worry, I got you. Yeah. I'm going to yeah. solve this, right? It, I think it's applicable to anyone who deals with customers at any level, whether it's um, in a call center or it's an ex at an executive level, it's making the customer feel like they're being cared for doesn't necessarily mean that you have the solution at hand. That's right. That's right. I mean, even having run large-scale contact centers, I felt like my customer was, or my employees actually. And, you know, that in itself, when you've got 300 seats, that is a job, right? And so that part, you're, you're, it's hard to focus on operational things because you have a lot of people who need your attention mm -hmm. a lot. That is taxing. So I found that that's not my love. I'm not, an, I've never been a person who's like, the more people who report to me, the merrier. I'm like, right now there's four of us within my company. I'm like, this is good. I'm comfortable. Everyone's happy. Let's just do really good work, right? And let that be it. <laughs> I'd and, love that, and that's in including the poster as well, right? It's, yeah. <laughs> you know what? There's four people on my poster. So I do believe that somehow, some way I caught that into existence. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I, I want um, I want to touch on yeah. that in a, in a in a in in a second or in a minute maybe. Um, I wanted to ask you, uh, Ty, just curious, um, the idea of kind of incentivizing or maybe using like a common metric in in a company at a company level for success. Um, the NPS score has been something that a lot of companies have 
reoriented themselves around. And I've been reading articles about how it really puts you know the CEO and the frontline customer care employee kind of on the same level because the incentives here, the bonuses and whatnot are tied to what the frontline workers essentially are being able to do. What, what's your opinion on that? Do you think that is moving um, things in the right direction, especially I guess for larger organizations where you are dealing with 300 people working in a call center or is that, or is that a, false, a, a false hope? I, I mean, I like NPS, and, but I also like CSAT. So um, I've always looked at CSAT as a measurement for the engagement. We, we spoke on the phone or we shared a message how did the person do who helped you out? That's CSAT for me. NPS mm -hmm. is how likely are you to recommend me to or recommend this company to a family member or a friend? And the reason why, so I worked for Intuit and that's probably one of the few companies that I will always mention in anything I talk about because I learned so much there mm -hmm. um, and they were very heavy on NPS. And I believe if I'm not mistaken, there was a point in time that predates me there where they didn't do like, like, you know, TV advertisements or anything like that. They grew by word of mouth mm -hmm. because if someone tells you to try something that you trust, that's as good as gold. It's the best way to promote any company, any business, um, because it's authentic, right? Mm -hmm. At the same time, if that person tells you not to go to that company, you will also probably adhere to that because you trust that person. So where I think that it levels the playing field is that the CEO is ultimately responsible for obviously the direction and overseeing the company in general. And if a customer doesn't want to um, refer that company, it could be any you know, list of reasons. One of those reasons could be because they had a bad experience, which is how you tie in the CX piece. But that may not be the, what's, what's actually driving it. So I think that if you have your NPS score, you also have to do a little bit of digging and analysis to find out what drove that decision. And there are tools out there that help you with that. So I do, yes, I believe that it levels the playing field. I believe it tells a really strong story mm -hmm. because um, I know personally, I've tried businesses because someone that I trust has said, you should go there. You should try that. And I believe them. And I did. I've also been the one to say, don't do that. Um, and, and people who trust me have said, okay, I'm not going to go there. So I think it's really, really important um, that, you know, that the knowledge is instilled in the CX team, which it is not always right to understand what their role is within the company, which is not just to feel problems, but to actually be the voice of the brand. Right. So you are the company personified. And that's some of the stuff exactly. that we try to do in training. Yeah. Sorry, go ahead. What were you saying? No, I said exactly. I think you're you you are the voice of the company personified. Exactly right. Yeah. It's you. And so or you know, or think about the last time I always say last time you call the cable company or wherever you call. Do you remember who you spoke to? You don't. But you'll say, I called the cable company and they said, and that could have been any person, right? Um, so you have to be they have to understand that the way that they communicate with the customer, it's not a personal thing, right? it's a brand thing. So you have to educate them on that. And then maybe NPS will shoot up, but it is heavily skewed. So you've got to like literally be beyond amazing 
um, with your entire experience, because NPS is about experience end to end. It's not about an engagement. You've got to completely kill it in order for that to, to come out the way that you would ideally want it to. Hey guys, make sure you tune in for the second part of this interview next week. See you then.